Setting said, we're uh, working through Galatians, and I just want to kind of give a little bit of a review, some big pictures. Today we're going to talk about church intimacy, and we're going to see Paul be intimate, and he's frequently intimate in the book of Galatians, but I want you to see a little bit of the story, um, the history of it. Paul is writing to a group of churches in the province of Galatia. It's in the cities of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and Pisidia. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul was planting churches in that area in Acts 13 and 14. And Paul's basic pattern is he goes to a new city, he finds a synagogue where the Jews are, he starts preaching there, somebody gets mad at him and he has to go somewhere else. Usually there's a little bit of conflict. And then he starts pulling in Gentiles. The stories show that a lot of significant transformations of life are happening. And then all these wonderful things are happening and the conflict usually gets a little hot and Paul has to move on to another city. His basic movement city is it's just too hot for me, I gotta move on. As he moves on, he writes letters back to those churches. He gives them some correspondence. He gives them instruction. But sometimes somebody else comes in, and what happens in the province of Galatia is some, some Jewish Christians are legalists, follow Paul, and they start telling the churches in Galatia, you have to go back and follow all of the details of Old Testament law. If you're on a Bible reading plan right now, trying to get through the Bible in a year. You're probably about this time of the year, somewhere between Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're getting bogged down in all of the details. That's what they're imposing upon them. Um, Paul writes, and is going to clarify, hey, all you need is Jesus. He does that and it, I'm going to make this, I want to say this clear. It looks to me like there is about a 20 to 30 year period of time happening in New Testament history where this is going on, this wrestling is going on. And it seems to resolve itself in Acts chapter 15 with the Jerusalem conference and the apostles and the elders saying, this is how we're going to deal with Old Testament law. But if you start reading through Paul's correspondence and trying to put dates on it, it's about a 20 to 30 year period turmoil, and even some of the people who at one point would say, okay, we're solid on this, kind of will drift back. And maybe I want to add this to it, because I've had a few conversations with some of you. Sometimes there'll be some things that we're dealing with as God's people in our culture, and we think we've got it resolved, and then it recreates itself. I heard somebody say, uh-huh. <laughs> it happened in the New Testament church. Be patient with one another, but stay true to the gospel. Well, let me have you stand, and I'm going to read the text that I'm going to preach through today. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elementary forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearfully for you, that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You 
despise or reject me through my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to the sense of being blessed you had? For I testify that you, if possible, would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. Now, it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I'm with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Please be seated. I, I've said this before. I hope I uh, never write an email that goes to our church mailing that all of you get in your inbox that sounds like this. I hope you never hear this one. But this is these intimate details of pastoral life, of church life, of a pastor, a church planning pastor, writing back and telling people what it was like, what they've been through, and where it's going, and what they have to do. Paul reminds the, the Galatian church you know, of, of their background. It seems to me that the vast majority of people in these churches had come out of idolatry. They had been enslaved to spiritual forces that were not God. And if you were to look at some other passages where Paul talks about what are these idols like, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, he talks about those idols were actually inspired by demons. They're spiritual forces of darkness. And idolatry, you know, sometimes we can say, well, it, it's just such a silly thing. Why did people thousands of years ago take a piece of wood or a piece of stone and create it into an image and worship it? That just seems so silly. If we look deep inside our hearts, we still have that tendency in our human life today to find something that we think is the answer to everything. And I think in the Galatian church, it not only was it these old idols in the past, as it came something new, it was a religious system, or these super apostles, and today it might be, okay, here's our religious system, here's our rules, here's this fine-tuned fine theology, here's a celebrity preacher, or maybe it's something that just grips us and gets a hold of us. And we tend to take something and create, and we make our own idol. It just may not look in our eyes quite as silly as 2,000 years ago. Idols come out of a desire to control. Now these Galatian churches, they're, they're turning back to systems of control. They're looking for something that will make life manageable. And I think we need to recognize religious control is a system of slavery outside of an authentic relationship with God. In fact, this church knows this one well. I bet about everybody here just a few years before you had children, had a really good theory of how to raise kids. Okay, we're, we're getting about it. It did take long for you to realize the theory is not going to work, did it? When you step into an authentic relationship, husband and wife, brother, sister, parents and children, 
It gets messy, and our theories don't work very well. We have to just kind of stumble along. That's it, what's going on. This reflection, it's, it's a slide, and I'm going to use the term, they, they have slidden from hedonism to legalism. And this is me just speaking as me. I haven't seen the research. I probably should have dug and tried to find it, but I have noticed this pattern. A lot of times, human beings who have come to Jesus and had some life-changing lives, things happen, they start to become extremely loyal to religious systems or celebrity pastors or celebrity leaders. And I think a lot of times there is still something deep inside them, a wound that hasn't healed. That's the reason they're so vulnerable to a loyalty to legalism. They haven't quite forgiven themselves for what they've done in the past. Maybe they haven't been quite forgiven for it. And they know their dark side well enough to know that they're afraid of it. And afraid of where the future might go. When we discover grace, when we discover God's forgiveness, and we really take it deep inside, it's liberating. It liberates us from our past regret and our future fear of failure. And we kind of get, you know, kind of get, we do get comfortable with our humanity. We recognize that I'm probably not going to get through a day where I don't do something stupid. I'm probably not going to get through a day where my heart doesn't wrestle with something dark. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to go to God with it. And I trust that my family loves me when I'm far from perfect. That's one of the things that I think prevents us from getting into these traps of legalism. Paul expresses his concern, and he offers an invitation. And this is intimacy. He says he's afraid for the Galatians. He worries that the fruit of his missionary labor, of the church that he's planted, is going to just be simply in vain. It's going to be wasted. And I think most of us have a few things in life where we think this is something I'm doing that is really, really important. It's ultimately very, very important. And in the back of our mind, we wonder, is this thing just going to fall to pieces? It could be something in our job, it could be our marriage, it could be how we're raising our kids. Paul wrestles with that, that, that raw fear. He doesn't want all of the sacrifice that he's made for these churches in this province of Galatia to just be a waste. You know, I... Uh, I bet you, I remember as a kid in the 70s and 80s following my dad and uncle into North Dakota, and I remember driving with them and noticing all of the old farmhouses that were failed farms. I drive through North Dakota, I don't see as many as I remember 30 years ago or 40 years ago. I think most of them probably got knocked down. But you think about that, if you just do the numbers, there's been more failures of farms than the actual number that still exists in North Dakota. And think about that of people who are our ancestors, in many ways, here, who came here with a dream that in some ways fell apart on the land they wanted. And for Paul, it's that type of fear. And then thinking, and I hope I'm making a good point here, God's will endures beyond our human failures, beyond the things that we hold. And out of our human failures, he does wonderful good things that his will endures, his kingdom endures. Paul offers an invitation. He says, follow me. Become like me as I became like you. 
And I'm going to refer to a book that has been one that's kind of a very, very old one that every now and then I reread. I probably don't pick it up every 10 to 15 years, but it's a book called Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Waters. It was written by an old missionary probably over 100 years ago. I didn't pull it off and look at the copyright before I came in here. There was an old missionary, well, it would have been fairly young when he wrote it, but he was old now in my mind, who wrestled with what's happening in the world of evangelism, and he wrote a book called Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, and he laid before missionaries the idea, we need to try to, instead of replicating what's in our culture, what feels good to us, what is easy to control, we need to be asking the question, what would Paul do in this given set of circumstances? And what are the things that seem to be Paul's methodology? Now, as Paul says, follow me, follow me. I was even reading through some commentaries this week. And a few commentators start to wrestle with this. You know, is Paul being narcissistic? Is instead of him lifting up Jesus, he's saying, come, follow me, get close to me, do what I'm doing? I don't think it's prideful narcissism. I think instead we're getting to see Paul's humanity. And I'll throw a little thing in here. I know there's a common question in the American evangelical world, what would Jesus do, which is a, a good question. I have found that when I try to ask that question and put it in my life, I'm just too human. I've just got too many failings. I can't even really get that close to it. It's easier for me to say, what would Paul do in my given set of circumstances? And Paul mentions that he became like the Galatians. And I mentioned this last week. I, I joked with you that weren't here. Well, I joked with those that were here. For those that weren't here, I talked about a silly thing that I started doing years ago, and it's kind of a family joke. When I'm traveling across different states, sometimes I will buy athletic hats. And in North Dakota, when I'm stopping at a gas station, I'm an NDSU fan, and I'm going to see my kids in Chicago. When I get to Moorhead, I become a Vikings fan. When I cross the Mississippi River, and I'm in Wisconsin, I hate to admit this, I become a Packers fan. No. <laughs> and when I cross into Illinois, I'm going to see my kids in Chicago, I start to wear a Cubs hat, and everybody likes the Cubs, because they never, almost never threaten anyone. <laughs> well... Paul would say, "Become." I became like you. If you're wrestling with something that you're seeing in Bismarck or North Dakota or even you're traveling and you're saying something doesn't feel right here, you're troubled by it, and there's enough of Jesus moving in you that she's like, I want to influence this for good, try to think, how can I become as much as possible like the people I'm concerned about? How can I pick up dress, mannerisms, language, culture, history, so that in a certain way you can almost blend in. And when you blend in well, then you have the ability to speak well in the art. It's not giving into the cultural darkness, but it's giving into the nuances of the culture so you heard well. A few things I'm going to mention. I threw this up on social media a couple of days ago. Almost everybody here, I think, uses social media. I'm going to encourage you, particularly between now and Easter, ask that question as you're thinking about posting, what would Paul post today? Post the things he would post. And I think this is probably the easiest thing to see. I'd be surprised if Jesus used social media. There's no doubt in my mind Paul would. 
Then he mentions these things that are details, the intimacy. He had arrived and stayed preaching in Galatia because of a physical ailment. He, I think, intended to move on. Something physically happened and he had to stay in that thing for something that was wrong with his body. The Galatian church never looked down on Paul because there was something physically wrong with him. In fact, they saw it as a mark of Jesus, and they heard Paul's words as though he was like an angel. And they were sacrificial. He said they would have plucked out their eyes for him. I want to talk a little bit about a portion of something I consider here. It's called the health and wealth gospel. The simple idea that if you follow Jesus, your life just is always good. You always have money in the bank, and you're never sick. I think in our brokenness, that's many times where God puts us just where we need to be. If you follow the stories of missionaries, you'll start to hear a common theme of missionaries who arrived in some place and had to stay there because they were sick, or they had to leave someplace and go somewhere else and stay there because they were sick. And out of that brokenness, they found they were a place where God was ministering to us. In that brokenness, we can display eternal hope. In our worst moments, we can display the grace of God and second chances. I want to make this a little bit practical. When we enter into a season where we're suffering because of our health, it really does break down in many ways the ways that we would define ourselves. If you're a young person and you're athletic, and you define your life as an athlete, and you're looking forward to some competition, and then your knee goes out. And anyone who's ever athletic will eventually hit that point where your body breaks. If you're somebody who labors with your hands, and you take pride in the strength in how you get up early and you go to work, eventually your back breaks, your wrist breaks, your knees break, something breaks. You drive and you lose your eyesight. You fly and you lose your eyesight. You're a mom and you have breast cancer. Our bodies are declining. And it's just part of our human. When we hit those points, I think Paul, if we're reading well, would go, this is God putting me where I need to be. Most of us with gray hair will tell the stories of being in a hospital having been your body broken and the conversations you start to have as you're broken with somebody who doesn't understand the hope we have in Christ. Those of us who have family that are there, how many times have we done that? And I want to add something else to this. It's a little bit me meandering off, but I want people to hear this one well. I think the majority of time when our bodies break, it's just the effects of we live in a fallen world and our bodies are breaking. Time will do it to everyone. The health and wealth gospel will say every time our body breaks, it's a result of sin. And I just don't think that's true. But I do think there will come moments in our life where we make a poor choice and it hurts our health. I'll tell you one that I'm a little bit afraid of. Keep talking about my dad. My dad has very dark skin. 
Probably for a uh, European American. You put my dad in the sun, he never burns, and he gets tan really quickly. My mom was just the opposite of skin color. I kind of sat in the middle, but I always wanted to think I was more like my dad than my mom when I was young. I remember my mom telling me as a kid, wear a brim hat, put sunscreen on, and I remember thinking, my dad doesn't do that. And every spring and summer, I would burn my ears until they blistered, and I'd get some, and I'd burn my neck. And I've got a brother who's got skin cancer. And in the back of my mind, I wonder, is there going to come a day when I'm going to suffer because I didn't listen to my mom's cousin? I am guessing with this number of people that are here, even the ages of our children, some things are going to happen in our lives. We may have a young woman who's not married who's pregnant. We may have somebody who comes down with AIDS. We may get a phone call at 3 in the morning that somebody was had too much to drink and they're in the hospital. We can think of some of these things. If that's you, I want you to know, feel free to call me and wake me up. And I think I can speak for our leaders. Call us and wake us up. And trust that God's grace is bigger than the mistakes that we've made. This is part of it. It's stepping in and saying, as a messenger of Christ, as somebody who's trying to imitate Paul, and Paul himself is constantly aware of his own brokenness, we can step in and we can live there. In our worst moments, we can display grace and second chances. Now, there's a sheer drink Paul has in his suffering here. He mentions that some now see him like an enemy. There are false teachers who have come. They are trying to create isolation. And this is typically a, a pattern. If somebody is trying to stir up problems at church, they will try to get different people isolated. Isolated people are easier to manipulate. And they'll try to stir up enthusiasm, and they'll have a lot of energy, and they'll even kind of look like these kids, but they're old. And Paul mentions that he has a love for these Galatian churches that's like a mother in labor. He desires to be in the physical presence of the Galatians. He desires for them to hear a tone of voice that's like a puzzled parent. And, you know, as a parent, I... My kids would invalidate this. Sometimes I speak gently and wise. Sometimes I am harsh. I know I am. I probably shouldn't be. I should be always giving counsel without anger, but I can't do it. Sometimes, particularly in the season of life that I have now, where four of my kids are out of the home and they're over 18, and I can't impose my will upon them anymore, but I know they need my guidance where when I talk to them, I'm really puzzled at times. That's what Paul's doing. And he describes it as like at times it's going to be the turmoil of a birthing room. And I think almost all of us, many of us, have the memory of the turmoil of a birthing room. We want to believe it's beautiful, but frankly, Jan and I didn't say some kind words to one another in the tensions there. You guys are laughing, you remember the same thing. It's that way. I have a friend, Melinda Bolden. Um, she's written a few things. Her and I were co-laborers one time. We were trying to get a project off the ground in Rwanda one time, and wondering would it, would it ever get off the ground. 
And Melinda said something to me that has stuck deeply inside me. I don't know if she ever wrote this down. She just said it. She said, this will succeed because the leaders know how to suffer. That was her confidence. And I think that that's part of this, this church intimacy. Our success is most likely guaranteed if we are leading in a point of weakness, leading in a point where we're entering in and we're suffering, we're suffering with people, we're suffering for people, and we suffer just as people. Good leaders. I'm just curious. I'm done. What have I done? I don't look at it. It's 11 o'clock. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. I'm going to pray. Can you mention daylight savings? Okay. I can't even remember what my wife said. I really was trying to pay attention. Let me pray for you guys, and then I'm going to say our closing benediction. And I'm going to stand back here at the corner. If you're new to Revive and I don't know you, please, I'm going to try to make sure and touch base with you. I'm thankful that you're here. Let me pray a blessing. Our Father God, I ask your richest blessings on each person here. I ask as Raphael has led worship, as Janice led us through communion, as I've tried my best to preach that we all honor you. Your word has been spoken. Father, we ask that you will hold us close in your heart and help us hunger for you and not substitute systems or people for what you're to do. Father, we are broken people and we ask your healing and we ask your gentle kindness to be with all here to help them travel safely home to have a good week. And in a week that we'll have moments that are tough, we pray for your grace to endure. It's in your son's name. Let me read the closing benediction coming from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. May the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God, our Father, claimed in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Go with God this morning.